KMTT, Ki Mitzion Tetzay Torah, welcome back. And today is Wednesday, and in this summer's man, the Wednesday share will be given by Harav Moshe Tarragon, a share on ethical character, Midot, ethical attributes and character, Harav Moshe Tarragon. In Parashat Kedoshim, the Torah describes um, various dangers facing judges, sit in judgment, in the formal legal setting, something which appear in other instances in Parshas Mishpatim and Parsha Shoftim, sp- sprinkled throughout the Torah. But in this case, in Parsha Shoftim, um, there seems to be a statement about judging, rendering judgment, that in some ways um, expands questions of how to judge far beyond the legal setting. Don't commit distortion within the judicial system. Don't favor the impoverished. Don't flatter psychophantic interest in those who are wealthy or who wield influence. And then the final clause of the Pasuk, Again, the literal translation, is a request or a mandate directed at judges to render judgments with moral integrity, with balanced and wise deliberation. But Rashi, in his comments to that Pasuk in Vayikra, Perak Yutes, Pasuk Tezvav, Rashi cites a different opinion, and perhaps the second opinion, which expands the concept of B'Tzedek Shepoda Misecha, well beyond the judicial framework, Rashi is highlighting the term Amisecha. Amisecha refers to your colleague, your friend, your peer. And it would be very odd to refer to a litigant as a peer of a judge. Amisecha, according to Rashi, hints at the notion that this Pasuk has application well beyond the limited and formal judicial setting. B'tzedek tishbara misecha, Rashi writes, Havedan is chavercha lekafschos. Quotes the Gemara in Sanhedrin, Daflamid Beis, to afford people the benefit of the doubt. Now this is a well-known character trait of affording people the benefit of the doubt, not judging them harshly, not assuming the worst in people. And typically, it is spun or distilled in a particular scenario, person commits a distinct particular action. That action can be interpreted as criminal or potentially as innocent. Uh, perhaps a common example, one that many of us have been trained towards, you see a person walking into a non-kosher establishment. He may be entering to order some food, he may be entering to make a phone call. Today, he doesn't have to make a phone call. It's a cell phone to use the restroom to purchase a drink. This person has two choices about how to interpret data. And the person should be the, the subject of his observation, should be afforded the benefit of the doubt rather than assumed negative intentions. But that particular scenario aside... There's a larger dynamic, there's a larger shift occurring in this Rashi, beyond just how to interpret a particular 
occasion or event or action. It's about how we judge people in general, not just in their actions, but in their intentions, their personality, their agendas, and in some cases their ideology and their religion. It's very interesting, uh, Medrash, the, one of the 13 Midos, um, Harachamim, which we pray to HaKadosh Baruch Hu through or with Hashem, Hashem, Kel Rachum Mechanun, Erech Apayim, Verav Chesed. Rav Chesed is a more ambiguous phrase. HaKadosh Baruch Hu um, showers Chesed, augments Chesed, Milashon Rav Harbe Chesed. And to a degree, this phrase, this um, appellation of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, refers to general maintenance of his world through Chesed, Alam Chesed Yibonah, Mechalkel Chaim Bechesed. But in the particular context of Tshuva, of HaKadosh Baruch Hu judging us and um, responding to our strengths and weaknesses, to our successes and to our failures. What does this refer to? Virav Chesed. So the Gemara in Rosh Hashanah offers several alternatives. HaKadosh Baruch Hu tilts the judgment process in our favor. So he doesn't judge us in pure empirical or objective terms, but shades the truth, so to speak. It's a very, very provocative notion that Kodesh Baruch would shade the truth because Kodesh Baruch is not a vatron. Hashem doesn't just merely overlook certain situations. But there's a medrash in the beginning of Shmos which interprets the phrase v'rav chesed, this tilting of our judgment in a favorable angle or in a favorable fashion. So the medrash writes, shehu mate klape chesed, Kodesh Baruch tilts mate. This phrase, Matei Klape Chesed, appears in the Gemara in Rosh Hashanah and Yudzayin. So the Medrash lifts it from Rosh Hashanah Yudzayin, Matei Klape Chesed. V'nistakel betov, v'lo bera shehayu asidim lasot. Rosh focuses, stresses the positive and potential within each human being rather than the negative and the ultimate failure that inevitably each person um, may reach and the Baruch certainly knows about in advance. So this tilting of judgment actually captures or encompasses two different decisions upon a Kaddish Baruch One is to judge a person by his potential and his current achievements and not necessarily the failures and the crimes and the flaws that an individual ultimately experience. And a Kaddish Baruch through foreknowledge is well aware of those ultimate declines but doesn't um, factor them into his overall equation, his overall judicial equation. But secondarily, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, um, is more interested, highlights the, um, highlights the positive within people, looks at their positive traits, at their, at their mitzvahs, at their um, generosity, and doesn't highlight or harp upon the negative. Now, if we expect HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to treat us and to see us in that way, that we understand that we're a mixed bag of potential and a failure of opportunity and of lost opportunity, of, so to speak, pros and cons, character strengths and character weaknesses, and we expect the Rabboni Shalom to judge us favorably by glancing at our character strengths and not by highlighting or stressing our negative features, then we have to be capable of responding to others in our judgment of them, in our appraisal and assessment, in our interaction with others, in a similar light, very often when we judge people negatively, when we assume the worst, when we 
almost obsess about their negative traits. We don't look at the broader picture, see the person as a whole, as a mixed bag as everyone is, is not absolutely negative or positive, but as an overall human being fraught with flaws, but um, ennobled with character strengths and virtues. It's a very interesting pasuk in Parshas Balak in Bamidbar Perich of Gimel, as Bilam repeatedly attempts to curse the Jewish people, and obviously he's facing the adversity of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's barrier, HaKadosh Baruch Hu's blocking his attempt, Somehow he feels, perhaps delusionally, but at least Bilam believes, that if he generates sufficient hostility and anger and negativity and despise for the Jewish people, perhaps his own personal sentiments and contempt will overcome the divine barrier. So after he fails, he turns to Balak, or actually Balak turns to him in Parachav Gimel Pasagir Gimel, Vayomer love Balak, Lechna iti el makom acher asher tereno misham, <clears throat> Perhaps let's ascend a different mountain, a different cliff, a different vantage point, and that ulterior or alter, alternate vantage point will prove successful. Now, why did Balak feel that an alternate site would yield greater success? So, obviously, they were involved in some sort of paganistic black magic, and paganism, different sites may elicit interests of different gods, of multiple deities. Perhaps they could summon or evoke the interest of some other pagan deity in their minds, which could overcome HaKadosh Baruch Hu's resistance. But the Pasuk itself is suggestive of a different strategy. Efes kotsehu tira, That vantage point will only yield a partial view, or a view of part of the camp, but not the entire camp, v'kovnolimisham and you'll be successful in cursing them from that position or from that posture. At a very practical level, Balak hopes that a shaded or partial or incomplete perspective upon a people, upon Am Yisrael, will highlight or spotlight negative traits. Negative traits will in turn induce hatred and contempt and derision upon on the part of Bilam, which may evoke hatred, and antagonism, and allow him to overcome the divine resistance. Every individual, and in this case every nation, every experience, possesses both attractive as well as unappealing aspects and traits. And if we microscope or telescope the negative traits, then we have a very negative and critical view and very judgmental perspective of that individual. If we're able to broaden and generalize our perspective, then we're able, A, to appreciate the mixture that every human being, and in this case every nation, truly is, and B, that every negative trait also carries positive traits. Every trait itself, even in isolation, is a character aspect or a character element which both um, possesses positive manifestations as well as ugly and vulgar expression. So, if in our attempts to solicit a Kurdish Baruch Hu's mercy, we beg him to spotlight our own positive traits, we have to be capable in our judgment of others, but the recognition that we judge people, um, not just as formal judges in the litigational forum, but in our daily interaction 
we always render judgments about people, and that's part of developing an identity, is viewing other people's lifestyles and decisions, their values and their approaches, and questioning whether they are similar to our own or whether we should adopt them or chart our own path. I mean, judging people is a natural and warranted and perfectly acceptable condition of human growth. But when it bleeds from judging to judgmentalism to harsh negativity to other approaches and to other human beings, then it's a flaw of human virtue, of, of, of religious consciousness and religious character. Um, we also judge people, not just interpersonally, as we are trying to build our own character and our own personality, but we also judge people ideologically as we're building our own religious identity, our own hashkafa, our own set of religious values and rituals. We sometimes look at other people and render very, very harsh decisions about their, their own uh, attitudes and approaches. Um, this danger of judgmentalism and the value of becoming more tolerant religiously of different approaches, of the sophistication of Avodah Hashem and that there are other avenues and vistas, other perspectives upon Avodah Hashem, is highlighted by a very interesting commentary in Avos Rebbe Nassan, which parallels the Gemara and Shabbos. Avos Rebbe Nassan is a companion work to Pirkei Avos, is a parallel, um, a parallel anthology of statements of Chazal. It tends to be a little bit more amplified and elaborate, and therefore it serves, at least functionally, though not historiographically, but it serves functionally as almost a Gemara to Pirkei Avos, because it parallels Pirkei Avos, but it elaborates and explains and expounds upon some of the statements in Pirkei Avos. So in Avos Rebbe Nassan, commenting on the very first Mishnah about the Anshei Knesset HaGadola, the very early part of the first parak of Pirkei Avos, and the first three statements, which the Anshei Knesset HaGadola, the earliest Tanaim, so to speak, authored, so, Mesudamadin means to be deliberate and relaxed, to be thoughtful and ponder a judgment before you render it. And again, it is a statement directed primarily at judges in the formal judicial setting. But Avastrav Nasan elaborates and applies the notion of deliberate thinking, of tolerant examination rather than impetuous judgmentalism to every man as he judges the world around him and he judges religious expressions around him. The language of Avas Ravi Nassan, Adam Mamsin Badin, to be deliberate in his judgments, Shekola Mamsin Badin Miyushev Badin, and it cites the well-known situation of some of Shlomo HaMelech's productions. Shlomo HaMelech wrote many svarim, and the, um, he wrote Mishle, Shir Hashirim, and Kohelas, and at least originally, when these three svarim were published, people intended to um, censure them, to ban them. Um, Shlomo Melech himself was a very provocative and controversial personality, but in addition, these svarim contained all sorts of enigmas and contradictions and even provocative statements, certainly some of the statements in Shir HaShirim, which conjure up sexual imagery, were, were offensive to some. Um, some of the statements in Kohelas, which sound almost tempting and seductive, in particular a pasuk in Perak Zayin, Smach um, Bachor Be Yaldu Secha, I'm sorry, Perak Yud Aleph, 
almost offering a warrant, a blank check for young people to enjoy their life, to party, to indulge in luxury. So there were certain statements that attracted the ire and the antagonism of people who worried that they were not successful in generating a religious attitude, religious perspective, and they were authored by someone whose religious personality was at least suspect. And they wanted to ban the Svarim. And after thinking, a few generations later, Chizkiah's scholars, as the Pasuk um, in Mishle, Parachafei attributes Asher Hatiku Anshe Chizkiah, Melech Yehuda, Chizkiah's scholars, they ratified and they, they canonized Shlomo's works into Tanakh. They granted them validity. Anshe Chizkiah. So it took several years, several generations, until Shlomo's works, Mishle, Kohelas, and Shihashirim, were proved. But had Shlomo's contemporaries been impetuous and quick-fused in banning and censuring Shlomo's work, these three works, these three great svarim, would have been lost and would have been relegated to historical oblivion. So Chizkiah's men, Chizkiah's scholars, Chizkiah's Hamidichachamim are seen as heroic, and their heroism stems from their their tolerance, their ability to, to exercise deliberation and thoughtfulness rather than quick, snap judgmentalism. The Gemara in Shabbos on Daf Lamed um, cites this whole debate and question, but in particular regarding Sefer Kohelas, Bikshu Chachamim in Shabbos Daf Lamed, Lignos Sefer Kohelas, Ribnei Shedvarav Sotrin Zeetzeh. It's not clear who these Chachamim were. Is this Gemara and Shabbos referring to the same contemporaries of Shlomo who wanted to ban it? And Chizkiah's scholars approved it a few generations later? Or does it refer to even a subsequent inquiry or questioning of the, um, of the suitability of Sefer Kohelas, especially because in the Gemara and Shabbos it's the internal contradictions of Kohelas that were surprising to the Chachamim, whichever these Chachamim were. Some statements support Simcha, other statements attack Simcha as, as worthless, um, other statements um, seem to be equally contradictory. It's not sure whether this refers to a separate incident or the same incident, but either way, it describes the same process of an initial wariness towards the Sefer, followed by subsequent interpretation, decoding, um, deeper appreciation of some of the original enigmatic statements, but recognizing their true depth. But either way, whether we are viewing the struggle to come to terms with some provocative statements in these svarim, or the struggle to come to terms with internal contradiction within these svarim, in particular within Kohelis, which happens to contain contradiction and um, paradox, Either way, an initial view yielded almost fanatic, zealous judgmentalism and rejection, and subsequent statements yielded um, more, uh, or subsequent views and considerations yielded a more tolerant and deeper understanding and appreciation of Svarim, which have obviously outlasted the test of time and the historical approbation. Um, very often, it's hardest to maintain our tolerance, our understanding of other approaches, of other voices, 
when we are involved in generating religious fervor and religious zeal. Um, it's a built-in issue. Obviously, when people are younger, it's even more difficult because they aren't seasoned with the breadth of experience, with the sweeping horizons of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's infinity. I mean, ultimately, tolerance is not just a moral trait, but it is a theological reality, theological necessity, because if HaKadosh Baruch Hu truly is infinite, then within reason, as long as the variants of approaches all cohere within halachic fidelity, but within reason, there have to be an infinite amount of approaches to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So if someone approaches Hashem, again, stemming from halachic fidelity and halachic commitment, if the person approaches HaKadosh Baruch Hu from a slightly different vantage point that I can't understand or can't appreciate it, well, by definition, almost tautologically, that approach will be a valid approach because I'm not meant to understand every aspect of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. My derech is necessarily different from your derech. Um, but obviously it's a moral issue as well not just an appreciation of the infinity and the infinite approaches to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. There's a beautiful Gemara in the end of Tainus that Leos and Lava, the Rabboni Shalom, collects all the tzaddikim who have lived through history and aligns them in a circle with him positioned in the midpoint, in the actual middle of the circle, the, the, the center point of the circle, and each tzaddik stands on the perimeter, points to the midpoint of the circle and voices... This is the God we've awaited. Let's rejoice and exult in His salvation and the final victory and triumph of history. And amongst all images, why is the image of a circle employed to describe these, this dance or this arrangement of Tamir Chachamim and Sadikim, Leosid Lavo? And presumably because a circle contains infinite and equidistant radii. So each Chacham is equidistant from Hashem. Each Chacham has enjoyed his own personal relationship and religious experience, and they're all equal, but they're all different. Equal but different. And infinite equidistant radii. But tolerating other approaches to Avodah Hashem is also a moral responsibility. Um, and sometimes it's almost as if a distinction has to be drawn between passion and rational thought. Passion makes us truly committed to a particular experience, whether it's a particular lifestyle, a particular spouse, a particular color, a particular food type. And if we take a step back and rationally assess the situation, there's nothing that makes that opportunity, that person, that choice objectively superior. We just love it. We just are committed to it. And tolerance demands almost the compartmentalization between experiences which stem from our passion and experiences which are just objective. We're passionately committed to our own choices, but realistically we understand that other choices may be just as legitimate and be just as fulfilling for other people. Um, that's difficult the more ideological it becomes because the more ideological, the graver and greater the stakes and the greater passion we invest in our approach, and, and we should invest in our approach to HaKadosh Baruch We absolutely committed that that is, or convinced, that that is the only approach and the superior approach, and in truth, it really is the superior approach for us. But it doesn't render it the exclusive approach for others. Um, this issue of how we render judgment about others and particularly about others who do demonstrate. It's not it's easy to be tolerant and respectful of people who are successful or, or immaculate, but people who do demonstrate flaws and limitations um, has even greater import and greater consequence amongst our leaders. 
Um, I've quoted the Pasuk in Kedoshim, but Tzedek Tishbar HaMisecha, there is a structurally similar Pasuk in the beginning of Parsha Shoftim, a Parsha which obviously deals with the broader judicial and litigational system. So this is a Pasuk in a Parsha which is clearly directed almost exclusively at Shoftim, as opposed to the Pasuk in Kedoshim, but Tzedek Tishbar HaMisecha. But the Pasuk concludes, the beginning of Parsha Shoftim, they should judge the people righteously and correctly. Again, on a literal level, referring to the balance and honesty which a shofet must wield in rendering his his um, verdicts. But the Menush Tanchum already senses that there's a moral question, not just a judicial question. Amar Rav Yehuda Shalom the greatest leaders were matin umalamdim alehim schut of baruchu. The real role of a leader, again, not just within the judicial system, but a broader national figure, is to defend Jews in the eyes of God, not to indict or to prosecute them in the eyes of God. Um, in our modern, um, in our modern milieu, Levi Yitzchak was known as the great defender of Jewish integrity. He would always locate. He lived in a very difficult time for orthodox religion when it was under siege and people were very agitated. And that agitation typically elicited anger, frustration, and rejection. And for Rebbe Yitzhak, it elicited embrace, love, and an attempt to uncover a deeper holiness, a deeper sanctity within a Jew and to almost present that to Kodesh Baruch in defense of the Jewish people. Um, within this Medrash Tanchuma, it's actually Gidon who is selected as um, Gidon ben Yoash, who is selected as um, the exemplar of a defender of the Jewish people during a difficult time. Um, the Medrash in Tanchuma, Parsha Shoftim Simindalad, describes Gidon living through difficult periods in Sefer Shoftim, periods of siege, periods of Jewish paganism. Gidon himself was not a scholar. He was one of the Rekim, as the Gemara in Rosh Hashanah describes. His dreams reflected that emptiness. He, he dreamt of certain images and symbolisms, which according to Chazal symbolized emptiness amongst himself and emptiness religiously amongst others. So why was he selected for glory? Why was he selected to lead the Jewish people to triumph, to overcome their enemies, suffered religious crisis and ultimately foreign invasion, foreign tyranny. And Rabbanu was waiting for one leader to defend their virtue, to love them as how they were and who they are, rather than constantly indicting and carping and critiquing them. And no one was able to no one was sufficiently religious in their own record to be able to sort of stand above pettiness and and myopia and defend Am Yisrael. Kivon Shenimsa Schus Begidon, finally Gidon stood out, Shaliman Aleim Schus, based on the Pasik in Shoftim Perakvav, where Malach visits Gidon and addresses him, Hashem Chagibar Achayal. And Gidon responds as to why Akadish Baruchu has treated the Jewish people this way, where all the Miracles and promises from Mitzrayim, Natashnu Hashem, God has abandoned us, and the answers are obvious because Amisol has betrayed Akadish Baruch's will. 
But Gidon is unwilling to accept these answers because of a abiding commitment and faith in Am Yisrael's recoverability. And hearing this, the Malach immediately says, or Hashem says, Fa'ifin alav Hashem, Hashem enters the picture. Fa'yomer leich bechochacha zeh, you should advance with this strength, with this energy. And the reference of Bechochachazah alludes to not a particular weaponry or any particular armament, but Bechochachazah, with the strength of this character trait, you have been selected as my divinely appointed leader, and I will be showering you with divine intervention and supernatural opportunity because you continue to defend sinners rather than um, indict them. There's a similar statement offered about um, Yeravam ben Yawash, a successor to Yeravam ben Nevat in the northern kingdom of Amisrael, and Melachim Beis describes him as the leader of great territorial expansion who pushed back the borders of Amisrael to the Mediterranean Sea, even though he was a paganist and uh, a wicked, uh, infamous king, Yeravam ben Yawash, not Yeravam ben Nevat, but very similar behavior. And the the Medrash, Yalkut Shimoni, Melechem Beis, asks, Mativo Shal Yeravim, why was Yeravim selected? Very Oveda Vodazarahaya, Elevnashilo Kibel Lashen Haral Amos. He refused to accept an indictment of Amos. This is not an indictment of the broader Jewish people, but he refused to accept Lashen Hara. And Akadish Baruch reasons, as the Medrash articulates, Dor Oveda Lilim, Virosh Dor Oveda Vodazara, there's a nation of paganism and its leader is idolatrist. I would rather expand this territory and save my nation to a person who refuses to accept Lashon Hara, who still maintains uh, a positive and optimistic view of another human being, of Amos. Um, the, ironically, perhaps the antithesis or the inverse of Gidon's innocent, almost impregnable belief in the virtue of Am Yisrael and in his need to defend the Jewish people to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, rather than prosecute and highlight their flaws. The opposite may be Eliyahu Hanavi. And in Melechem Aleph, Eliyahu Hanavi has just stood on top of Hara Carmel and faced down a team of pagan prophets and has seemingly debunked their weird and, and foolish pagan ritual. They've been abject failures at drawing down fire upon their sacrifices, and Eliyahu's sacrifices were immediately accepted, and Eliyahu maybe naively expected them all to fall into line and convert from their paganistic tendencies to a more monotheistic approach, and he's deeply, deeply distressed when they're unwilling and unable to. So Leo is left alone on top of this uh, mountain, very lonely. I have been a, a pursuant zealot for your needs, Hashem says, and he launches into a tirade against the Jewish people. They have abandoned your treaty, your covenant, Mizbechotecha Harasu, they have um, they have dismantled your altars, they've murdered your prophets, and I alone remain as a stalwart believer, and even my my soul they want to murder. And Hashem essentially orders Eliyahu back out into the mountain and he issues a very famous directive that God is not found in wind and not found in fire and not found in loud noise, but in a small whisper called the Mamadaka. And when Eliyahu is unable to appreciate this message, so Hashem points towards the bottom of the mountain, Vayomer, and Hashem love Lech Bar Damesek, go travel back to Damesek, and the point Chazael as the king on Aram, and Yehu ben Nimshi as the king on, of Israel, 
and Alisha ben Shafat from Avil Mechola will be a Navi in your place, essentially removing Elio from office because once he falls into that harsh indictment of the Jewish people, he's almost disqualified himself from candidacy for a Navi to lead Am Yisrael because ultimately it's not the prophetic wisdom that a Kodesh Baruch Hu desires, but that loving commitment to the Jewish people to defend them, particularly at their worst time, to be able to, um, on the one hand, build that passion, that kanos, but not to allow that to poison towards um, judgmentalism and indictment. Um, the Rambam actually, in one of his very famous letters, traces Eliyahu's behavior back to Moshe. Moshe Rabbeinu himself had a moment of harsh judgmentalism at the Sneh, where he questioned Am Yisrael's willingness to accept Hainle Aminuli. And according to the Rambam, at least, Moshe's Tzaras was not just a miraculous sign to convince Parah, but was a temporary punishment for slandering the Jewish people. Ironically, Miriam would ultimately receive her own form of Tzaras for slandering Moshe. Um, and the Rambam also points to Yeshaya, who has his dream, in which he claims, I'm a man of impure tongue, and I live amongst impure people. And in this vision, Yeshaya sees a, some sort of heavenly angel, a seraph, entering into the Beit HaMikdash, taking a coal and placing the coal on his lips and burning his lips. And amongst all the imagery which this is meant to elicit, the Rambam feels this is also a temporary punishment, a quick punishment for Yeshaya's slander against the Jewish people. So the trait of tolerance, not just tolerance on an emotional level to tolerate people's behavior, but on a judgmental level, not to reach quick judgments, whether on the interpersonal sphere or the ideological sphere, is alluded to by that verse in Parshas Kedoshim, and elaborated by Chazal's interpretation of the Pasuk in Shoftim, Sometimes we believe that the more harshly we judge people, the more religious we are, and quite the opposite is true.